Welcome to another edition of Revealing the Diamond. I'm your host, Tiago Prem. And this week on the show, we're continuing our exploration in the Bhagavad Gita. Today, chapter two, right here on Revealing the Diamond. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the show. I hope you have listened to the first two episodes. Uh, I guess the first one is more like a prequel episode, <laughs> not like a full episode, but like, you know, like when you read a book and you read the foreword, does anyone there out there read the foreword? Do you skip the foreword and go right for chapter one? Uh, where, where are you on that experience of reading a book? Let me know sometime. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll put the question up in social media so you can get, uh, get back to me and let me know. I kind of waver. Depends on the writer. Uh, maybe depends on who wrote the foreword. Sometimes, you know, somebody writes an introduction and it's somebody maybe with a unique perspective. Um, let me know, do you read the intro uh, or the foreword to a book? Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, before we get into the show, I just want to say a couple of things. The first thing is, is that we have a teacher training happening, uh, Dharma Yoga teacher training happening on Salt Spring Island. That is from August 1st to 12th. And you can go to honestfarms.ca or go to Tiaga Prem, my name, tiagaprem.com, and click on the Dharma Yoga tab, and that will allow you to sign up for the the uh, 200 hour teacher training that's happening with myself, Steve Fazari, Sina Shalboff, and Patty Zito. Also, uh, SJ will be in the house, and Marley will be in the house, and uh, Sina's kids, and the chickens, and the goats, and the you name it, nature. Uh, it's going to be a beautiful time. So, hope to see some of you out for that. Also, uh, Tatva is this new yoga school program. It's going to start its launch this summer. I've got dates coming up in Kelowna. I've got some stuff happening in Vancouver, uh, Alberta dates, uh, and that sort of thing. So to keep in touch about how to participate in the in this program, also tiagaprem.com, go to the Tatvas tab and the Tatvas tab, and uh, then you can find out more about that. And as far as like you know where I'm going to be teaching regularly, online, in person, all of that stuff, everything you need to know will be posted on tiagaprem.com, uh, or you know click the newsletter and sign up so you get the uh, you get the lowdown, the skinny on what's happening um, with teachings going forward and uh, Mexico, maybe some sunny times practice, maybe some specific Northwest practice. Who knows? Uh, the best way to find out is tiagaprem.com or uh, join the newsletter. And that's my intro. If you love the show, uh, share it with your friends. That's a great way to support the show. Um, also, if you love the show, give us a five-star rating on uh, wherever you listen to the program, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or, or wherever you listen. Uh, give us a, a five-star review if you love us. Share us with your friends. And uh, we, we sure appreciate everybody who takes the time to do that. Um, also want to say a big shout out to Minds Die. Thank you, Minds Die, for everything you do to support the show. Uh, if you would like to become a sponsor of the show, just let me know. You can email me at tiagoprem at tiagoprem.com, and we can chat about what that looks like. Okay, I think we're ready. Let's get into Chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita right here on Revealing the Diamond.
right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the intro in chapter one where we talked about what's happening here. Um, you know, the battle scene that we're, we're in and there's two sides happening. And if you didn't listen to chapter one, go back and listen to it. So, you know, Arjuna, the warrior, has sat down in his chariot and decided, well, not, not so much decided, but came up against an ethical dilemma. Do I fight in this battle or not? Um, is this the right thing to do or not? And, and at this point, when he's having this conversation with Krishna, um, he's, he's starting to realize that maybe Krishna isn't just like a well-adjusted uh, servant, employee, um, driver, that kind of thing. Maybe there's something a little more uh, to this particular character, you know, besides them being reliable and uh, having some good ideas about how to be in the world. And so Arjuna, you know, being this warrior, and he, he, he's, you know, essentially what's happening too, just to put into perspective, is that it's not just an ethical dilemma of like, is this the right thing to do or not? But it's an ethical dilemma in the face of death, which is a big one, right? And it's, it's the big one. It's the big one for, for all of us. Um, who are alive, and those of us who are interested in yoga, we know that you know the the whole reason we engage in a yoga practice is uh, <laughs> to prepare for dying in, in some ways, like to live a, a life to its fullest, but also in doing so, recognizing that death is inevitable, and we need to make preparations for that starting now. Right? I mean. That's just the reality uh, of being alive. And so uh, Arjuna, the warrior, faced with death, he, he begins to question, you know, ask questions like, and maybe you've, met, maybe you've been in the presence of somebody who's dying or who is sick or is having a, you know, a crisis in their life, and they start to ask questions like, you know, do I have a soul? Or what happens when we die? And, and not like just kind of like light ponderings, but like deep concern, deep-rooted concern of like what's going to happen. I love, uh, I spent some time with a Tibetan Lama who said, um, nobody knows what's going to happen on the big day, but one thing is for certain, it will be exciting. The big day will be exciting, the day that we pass. And I was like the light, the levity and the sort of cheekiness of that response. So he starts to ask some big questions and, you know, and that, and the responses, which essentially this conversation is what the Bhagavad Gita is all about. The responses really um, move Arjuna to see Krishna in this uh, very unique and, uh, high regard in this, you know, elevated state, you know, as a very wise being. And so he asks about, for example, he asks about rebirth, right, with the question of death, like, is there rebirth? What happens? And, and Krishna tells him that the soul is eternal, essentially, that the soul is not born and does not die. It goes on and on and on. And the body, you know, goes through a transition of death in that it changes form 
the same way that if you, you know, leave uh, a bunch of compost out or like a bunch of fruit uh, cores and banana peels and that kind of thing, if you leave them out uh, in, on your lawn, though they will essentially become something else and they appear to be dead. But if you leave them there long enough, they'll disappear and merge into something else. So even the Prakriti or even the earth qualities appear to die, but become something else. And then, you know, so even the body, although it, it does die and it does take another form, it changes form. And so the surface self is what passes away. And the surface self is sort of like who we, I like Ram Dass, he called it somebody training, right? It's like who we pretend to be while we're alive. I was listening to a podcast the other day, a great podcast, uh, Keen on Yoga podcast, highly recommended if you haven't listened. And uh, shout out to Adam Keen from Keen on Yoga podcast. But he had... Um, uh, oh, I've forgotten the name of the fellow who was on the uh, show. He does the Namarupa magazine with Eddie Stern. I'm just going to look this up for you so that if you want to listen to the episode, you can. Uh, let's see here. I think it was Robert Moses. Does that sound right? I need a, you know how on some of the podcasts they have like the fact checker? Yeah, Robert Moses. There you go. Episode 52 with Robert Moses. Uh, anyways, he was talking about, you know, like the purpose of sadhana, the purpose of spiritual practice. And he was saying that, you know, the purpose of sadhana is to really get in touch with reality or the true self, the supreme self, who you are, that there is one being there is no separation. All of life is one being. And he said, even though, you know, 99.99999% of who I think I am here in this life is trying to convince me otherwise, that I am separate, that I am this person with these problems and these conditions and these... And, you know, just like we said, the body... It appears to be real. It appears that Tiago Prem will always be Tiago Prem and that you'll always be you and, and we'll just and we pretend that's a reality. Like it's just gonna go on and on forever and and uh, life will just be like this and there won't be any death and there won't be any and and the funny sort of the cosmic joke is that that is true. But the surface based self is probably gonna die, unless of course you create some kind of legacy. And that legacy could be positive or negative. And then people remember that surface-based part of you. And then that gets carried forward too. So, I mean, I guess everything is, is eternal. But essentially, uh, the conversation with uh, Arjuna and Krishna uh, with regards to rebirth, they're saying that the soul is eternal uh, and the body changes form and the soul goes from uh, form to form, like changing clothes, like changing outfits. And that's why Ram Dass, he says, you know, we're, we're um, all just, you know, God in drag. And we change outfits, but the, the nature of who we are, the, the self, the inner being, um, 
the inner beingness, the inner knower, the interconnectedness of all of life. Um, it's being expressed in all these forms, and the forms keep changing, but underneath the, the soul or whatever language makes sense for you, um, it's eternal. The Atman or the, the Jiva, the, the soul, goes from outfit to outfit. The true self lives on. And then this divine play, I mean, he doesn't really get into it yet, This using this word lila in the Gita yet, but the, the divine play, this what you're experiencing in your life, this drama unfolding, um, it's just karmas playing, playing, its, playing their self out. Just like the sun rises and falls, everything knows what to do. Like your breath knows what to do. Your cells know what to do. And then we have the capacity to interfere you know, like we, you, everybody knows that if you get like really worried and anxious that you're only hurting yourself. Um, you know, if you complain all the time, you know, you it seems like you're hurting other people around you, but essentially you're just hurting yourself because your cells want to be happy and they want to be in this state of knowing who they are. But we have this free will, this capacity that allows us to interfere with the harmony of nature with self-knowledge, which is the goal of all these practices. And also in this particular chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, when Arjuna starts to see Krishna as this wise, wise being beyond where, uh, how he saw him before, he asks uh, Krishna essentially to be his guru or teacher. Um, he sees Krishna as the supreme self. And uh, guru is such a funny word. I mean, funny is probably not the descriptive uh, word we, we should choose here. But guru, when we talk about guru, we're talking, I mean, this is Bhagavad Gita is a great way to understand this, a great place to gain some insight into this term guru, because guru is the, uh, the great revealer. It is um, the teacher that is in everything. <clears throat> and if that supreme being, that supreme teacher that is in everything, has called you to have a teacher in a physical form, then you will have a teacher in a physical form. And some of us won't. And that doesn't mean that one of us has a guru and the other doesn't. That's just a surface-based expression. And um, I had heard Ramana Maharishi say that you know, grace is the experience, grace is the experience of that uh, supreme being in everything, which means that if it's, if this supreme being is omnipresent everywhere at once, it means there is nowhere that the guru isn't. The guru is everywhere at once, constantly revealing, you know, to us who we are. And when we understand that, it's sort of like, well, why bother taking any action? Just allow things to happen as they should. And there is some truth to that. But if you want to uh, have a deeper understanding of why action is essential, I would recommend a great text. Can you guess what I'm going to say? It's called the Bhagavad Gita. Because <laughs> it talks all about this. You know, it's sort of like the grace, the grace of the guru is, is everywhere. It's in everything. 
And then we go about as practitioners, as devotees, pretending that it isn't so. And, and then the practice becomes, you know, this, at what point do we stop pretending? And do we merge into the what is? But the practice, I think, for a long time becomes the pretending that it isn't so. And then we get reminded and reminded and reminded and reminded until we don't need a reminder anymore. And don't we, don't we view all of these uh, practices as reminders? Like chanting is a reminder of who we are. Asanas is a reminder of who we are. Um, you know, fall, working with the circadian rhythms of when we go to bed and what we eat and at what season and all of that stuff, those are reminders of who we are. But if we get, you know, really adept at reminding ourselves of who we are, at some point we may not need the reminder anymore. And if we don't need the reminder anymore, the reminder means that it already was. It's nothing new. Does that make sense? Like if you're being reminded of something, reminded, it's a return to something that you already knew. That's why I like the language inner knower. And so, you know, just to loop back here, but um, Arjuna realizes by the grace of the Guru that he needs a teacher, and that teacher is Krishna. And Krishna does a wonderful job in this book of reminding him that <laughs> as his teacher, or the teacher, or the Guru principal, not... It's funny, like, uh, somebody sent me something the other day um, that will relate to this, and, and what they sent me was, you know... There's all these male, I think it was an Osho quote, and it was like, you know, there's been male Christs and Buddhas and, and all of these, and, and then there haven't been females, and the female awakened one is called a witch. And I loved, I loved that, but it made me think like even more so in the realm of pairs of opposites, when you recognize who you are, it isn't about male and female. But, you know, Maybe those reminders are what allow us to see who we are. Oh, the you know the mother and women have been uh, oppressed and pushed aside by society. Becoming aware of that is a reminder of who we are. You know what I'm saying? And then at some point, it's not about the form. That who you are is not about male and female, mother and father, and we're all going through this and experiencing it in different ways according to our conditions. We're all just as Ramdas as walking each other home, waking up to who we are. And we're doing that by passing through this uh, realm of the gunas, the qualities of uh, nature and this experience, to transcend the gunas. Oh, well, it's not, you know the essence of Christ is not masculine or feminine. The essence of Anandamayama is not, you know, the roles of the woman in the home. I mean, all of that stuff is secondary. That's the surface that's always shifting and changing. But we may need to move through the surface, the density, the pairs of opposites, in order to see who we are. And the Guru is always revealing this to us and the question is are we actively participating uh, in that from a place of knowing capital k 
Or are we participating in it from a place of knowing, little k, self-knowledge, big S, self-knowledge, little s? Does that make sense? Like, are we, are we willing to surrender any notion of right or wrong to just simply be with our beloved? Or do we need to cling to what we think is right? And, and you know, I'm a this and you're a that and you did this and all of that. And that's all, those are all the karmas working themselves out. And the guru is constantly guiding us. So, so uh, Arjuna asked Krishna to be his teacher in a physical form. And and then they talk quite a bit about pairs of opposites and about how yoga is equanimity, uh, evenness, and about this you know detachment from pe- pleasure and pain. And detachment, it's kind of a funny word though, because when we hear it in English, we hear that as like pretend it's not there. And I I don't necessarily see it like that, like. Think about when you're, I mean, I'm not a naturally flexible person in like my body. Um, And so when I practice asanas, like I really, you know, I really go through a range of different experiences, pain, discomfort, um, doubt, uh, rushing, uh, anxiety, uh, apathy, (laughs) you know, a range of experiences. And you know, the detachment piece is like, I'm just going through it because I understand that those experiences are just experiences. And I know that if I try my very best to remain uh, as neutral as possible as the observer moving through the practice, because I know now from experience that the practice does serve me. And if I can bring some devotion to it, like thanking my beloved or my understanding of God or whatever it might be, and if I can pay really close attention to my breath, because my breath is directly linked to my soul and it unites all of life, so it's more big self s. It's a little more subtle than this is my body and my elbows and my tight hamstrings and my fingernails and my blah, 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 blah. You know, it's a little more subtle, a little more connected to the universal, the ek onkar the oneness, the supreme self, Brahman and Atman as one. If I can have little, you know, uh, moments where I connect through means of breathing and through means of devotion, I notice like, oh, that's just the way hamstrings feel when they're opening. There's no, it's no big deal. There's no story a- anymore. And it doesn't mean the sensation disappears. It's still there. But I'm not attaching myself to, I like this, I don't like that. Now, obviously, you know, pain that's like, hey, you're going to get injured, pay attention. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the like, this is uncomfortable and I would rather just like eat Doritos and watch season four of Stranger Things, (laughs) which is a great thing to do once you're you know, your practice is done, but if you just sit around and talk about the gunas, if, if we just watch Stranger Things and eat chips all day, the pain that you experience is going to be a lot harder to manage than the pain of doing Hanumanasana at 6 in the morning, full split. Because full split, 6 in the morning, over time, 
there is a sweetness that comes out of that challenge right and if you and if you do that repeatedly there's a sweetness that can arise from your steadiness stira sukkam asanam your connection to the earth just like you know if you've worked hard all week and you've done your sadhana and you've you know and your body's feeling tired and it's time to take a day of rest and eat your chips and watch your show there's a sweetness in that as well but you're learning to work with these pairs of opposites and find equanimity so that you're not attaching to, I need to feel pleasure all the time. I need to feel pleasure all the time. I need to avoid pain, avoid, avoid, avoid. Because that sort of behavior creates imbalances in the physical body, in the mental body, in the spiritual body. Okay. Yoga, he explains, yoga is evenness in mind, unshakable peace. And this comes through an understanding of the pairs of opposites. Too much pain is going to make life uh, not worth living. And too much pleasure is not sustainable either. Recognizing that pain and pleasure are a necessary part of life and seeing who you are in relationship to them, that is equanimity, that is yoga. And he talks a little bit more about the gunas and uh, Sankhya uh, philosophy. And, and we will touch a little bit more on that uh, in later episodes. But he, he, I mean, right from here in chapter two, he talks about, uh, about the Sankhya philosophy. And, you know, he talks a little bit about stita prajna or uh, wisdom. And that those who are established in wisdom, in, in continuous unbroken awareness, uh, that they are not the perishable body, but they are the Atman. They are the eternal soul. And they see this same eternal soul in everybody. That this soul, this supreme being, this supreme self-love condition is universally present. That we are all that. That the brilliance of the soul that you experience in yourself is the same in everybody. It's the same brilliance. That's what I love so much about the Mulmantar in the Sikh tradition, right? That it is Akal Murat, Ajuni Sebang. It is without uh, death and without birth, it is eternal, it is self illuminated. It is Gur Prasad. It is the grace of the Guru. I mean, this is what the Bhagavad Gita is all about. This is a universal truth. And then he says, Guru Nanak, he says, Japa, meditate on that. Adasacha, Jugadasacha, Habi Sacha, Nanakahosi Bi Sacha. You are born as that infinite one. You are that your whole life. You're that even now as you sit there listening to this podcast. And you will always be that. And this is the whole conversation with Krishna. And in my, per if you've listened to the Sermon on the Mount episodes, you know also that's what's going on there too. These conversations about heaven is not if you be a good person and then you get a, a you know, eternal pleasure at the end of your life because you said a prayer 
not quite, from my understanding, listening to Jesus is not necessarily what we're talking about here. We're talking about if you can see who you are in relationship to God, in relationship to the whole, to the oneness, you can be liberated from the illusion of separateness and playing the game of greed and anger and exploitation and all of these things that create imbalance in the system for all of us because it's one being. And then the nature of karma is that it needs to be resolved. The disease doesn't go away just because you can't see it. The root of it needs to be worked through changing habits and patterns and then in changing the habits and patterns the symptoms on the surface shift but if we are constantly being pulled out by our senses and wanting to feel pleasure and avoiding pain and we won't develop strength of will we'll lose our unity of purpose who we really are in the world and we'll be dictated by our desires, and these desires will not be uh, driven by our inner knower, our inner seeker, wanting liberation for ourselves and all beings, but instead will be us just seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. With And if that's not a great definition for addiction, I don't know what is. Give me all pleasure, I'm going to avoid the pain, and that's going to go on and create all kinds of habits and patterns that are going to create symptoms that are difficult to deal with. And so what can we do about the symptoms? Well, many of us just take pills or drugs or sex or alcohol or shopping or you name it, something to feel pleasure and avoid pain. And then that be those become new patterns on top of the previous patterns, which intensifies the symptoms. And all the symptoms are trying to do is remind us of who we are, the grace of the guru. And then when we have our awakening moment, whether it's rock bottom or a death in the family or, or a health issue or something that is unavoidable, we are given an opportunity to shift the patterns, and if we shift the patterns, it will change the symptoms and restore health for, this, for the individual, which is connected to the whole. It is all one and the same. But if the will is led astray by the desire for pleasure, the mind will be conf become confused and scattered, and we won't know who we are, which essentially is the primordial cause of disease. And ultimately, Krishna warns that this leads to spiritual destruction, or from an Abrahamic perspective, hell. You all with me? Let's take a little break here, and we'll be right back with the second half of the show. Well, I mentioned it at the start of the show that we've got this teacher training coming up, and I'm going to mention it again because I want you to be there. If you love the show, if you love the work that I do, 
think about joining us on Salt Spring Island. It's going to be beautiful. 12 days of practice all day from morning to night out in nature. I mean, look look at the world that we're living in right now and tell me how important is yoga right now? How important is community right now? How important is sadhana and spiritual practice right now? Super important. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling the call, join us. Uh, you can get more info at tiagoprem.com or reach out to me personally, and I look forward to being with you all then. Uh, and as I mentioned also in the intro, uh, lots of opportunities to practice together. So, you know, if you want more info, just get at me on the website or email me or DM me on Instagram. Now's the time. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's go. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first half and let's uh, dig into the second half of the program. So after Krishna warns Arjuna about spiritual destruction, they talk a little bit more about uh, wisdom and inner guidance and this word dharma, which uh, in this particular uh, text, Bhagavad Gita, when they talk about dharma, it's about like living your, your purpose, why you're here. Know, based on your gifts and talents and uh, epigenetics and your environment and your, you know, you have a, everybody is here for a reason. Or like my friend Jai Dave would say, if you have a mind, you have a mission. So everybody's here for a reason. Or Guru Nanak, he says, your destiny is written on the inside of your brow. Okay, so so why you're here? What are you, what are you here to fulfill? And you know, he says it, it's not about having knowledge of religion and dogma. It's not about religiosity, but more so about direct mystical experience. Like connecting with God or self as your soulmate. And that it's not so much about beliefs, like I believe in this, but it's about how you live, how you show up in the world. How you show up in the world is going to define how you experience the world. And so if you're doing, you know, all of these things in your life that you can't see yourself, you know, and you're losing your tapas, you don't have any discipline, and your um, uh, inspiration to learn, swadhyaya, it's becoming dimmed because of the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And, you know, because of that pain that comes, the suffering that arises from that, you disconnect from the wonders of life, the wonders of nature, the wonders of children playing, the wonders of prayer, the wonders of Wonder. The wonders of wonder. You're gonna it's gonna be really hard to know why you're here to experience yoga, an experience of oneness, self-realization.
And, you know, he also uh, begins the conversation around fruits of action. And this is a major theme in the Gita. Those of you who have read it know this. Not to be attached of the fruits of your actions, meaning that you're doing kind of like what I was describing before. It's like, I know the benefits of yoga because I've been doing my sadhana and my practice for so long, but I often forget. And a lot of the challenges around the practice come from expectations. Oh, I should be able to do this. Oh, I'm not able to do this, and here's why. Oh, I don't need to practice because I've been doing it for so long, and aren't I wonderful? Oh, I don't need to go to classes anymore because I'm a teacher and I don't have anything else to learn. Oh, I don't, you know, on and on and on and on. We make so many excuses. And instead of just being like, I trust that this will work. And I know I don't like it today because I feel stiff or tired or just to use it as an example but I'm going to do the best I can without any expectations because there are no guarantees about tomorrow. I mean, I have a, a beautiful teacher who was in an accident, accident with a drunk driver and she, it, it, she was not able to get out of bed for a long time. And so what she did while she was in bed was visualize herself doing the Ashtanga primary series mentally every day at the same time that she would normally practice. And her body began to recover at a more rapid rate because she was doing her yoga practice. Well, she wasn't doing her yoga practice the way one would expect. Oh, but I just really want to work on my jump throughs and my jump backs and my, and if I could only, you know, stand up, I could work on my head. Nah, no, instead, in, uh, can you breathe? Yes. Can you move? No. Okay. Can you imagine you're moving? Yes. Okay. Breathe and imagine you're moving and you will get the benefits. Okay. But would you rather be moving? Yes. Well, don't focus on that because if you do, you may lose the benefits. Release the attachment to the fruits of the actions, knowing that you're doing the work that you're meant to do and that some part of you is not the doer. And that's always a kind of a doozy for the mind you're just showing up according to your conditions like her conditions were i'm not able to move but i know i can practice great practice according to your conditions does that make sense all right i would like to share some of the passages just based on the themes that we covered today with you if that works and let's start with the soul is eternal by reading uh, verses 11 and 12. Oh, here we go. My phone was just being a little funky, but here we go. Okay, so the wise, this is Krishna, and he's talking about death and the soul being eternal okay so he says the wise grieve neither for the living nor for the dead there has never been a time when you and i and the kings gathered here have not existed nor will there ever be a time 
when we will cease to exist. We are eternal, eternal beings. We will always be here in different forms. But remember, <clears throat> that doesn't mean, oh, well, who cares? Let's just... No, it means you understand the nature of nature. You understand the nature of the soul. And you still show up to do your duty, which is to be in service of the whole. You with me? So you care for the earth, not only the soil, but the bodies around you, all the different bodies, experiences, conditions. That's caring for the earth, caring for your neighbor. You care for the waters, not only the cleanliness of the rivers and the lakes that we drink from, but also the water that makes your brain and your heart and also the brains and hearts of every being around you as best you can, knowing that you are going to cause some suffering. That's the nature of nature. But doing your best to bring ease, liberation, joy, compassion to the world as this is your duty. And you know that you're going to not be perfect as you do it, but you're going to strive to do your best with the reminder that everything is one and that nothing really dies but you still make strives to cause the least amount of pain possible to yourself and others because it's all one then he goes on in 22 to say as one abandons worn-out clothes and acquires new ones, so when the body is worn out, a new one is acquired by the self who lives within. You just change outfits. Hello? Anybody watch Queer Eye out there? That's what it's about. Makeover time. Uh, upgrade. <laughs> and the grace piece is that the guru is constantly guiding you, like walking you through the points of pain and suffering and teaching you about who you are in relationship to the suffering in the world. And we can participate in that or interfere with that. And if we interfere, we get le lessons of interference. And if we participate, we get lessons of participation. That's what it is. That's what it is and how we do. 30. The self, the Supreme Self, capital S, of all beings, living within the body, is eternal and cannot be harmed. Like I said, you, you know, I'm going through the practice. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel great. But I know that if I'm consistent, I show up. I do it as devotion. I do it according to my conditions, not pushing too much or too little. And when I'm complete, I feel this levity, this lightness, this that allows me to participate more fully in my life where my body feels good, my mind feels clearer, and then I can enjoy my time with my loved ones and at the same time knowing that this time with my loved ones is fleeting. It's not going to last. And that's not something to go, oh, it's not going to last. It's like, no, you don't grieve for that. You just live it fully here and now. 
as best you can. <laughs> and then in 38, it says, well, let's go back to 37. Death means the attainment of heaven, and victory means the enjoyment of the earth, being here and present. Therefore, rise up, Arjuna, resolve to fight. Having made yourself alike in pain and pleasure, profit and loss, victory and defeat, engage in this great battle, and you will be freed from sin. Remember what we said about sin in the when we did the Sermon on the Mount? That word means to go off track. Go off track means forgetting who you are. The primordial cause of disease is forgetting who you are. Yoga is a reminder. The experience of yoga is a reminder, and that experience arises out of grace. Grace meaning that the supreme being, God, the omnipresent being, the supreme self as part of that, God, Guru, and self as one, <laughs> The grace is that you are being reminded of that constantly in all forms. Remember who you are. And those lessons come in all kinds of forms. Then in re uh, re with reference to yoga being equanimity, Krishna in verse 14 says, when the senses contact sense objects. So that means what you're perceiving, what you're looking at, listening to, what you're smelling, what you're tasting, what you're touching, what you, uh, you know what I mean? Sense objects. When the senses contact sense objects, a person experiences cold or heat or pleasure or pain. These experiences are fleeting. They come and go. Bear them patiently. Those who are unaffected by these changes, who are the same in pleasure and pain, are truly wise and fit for immortality. Assert your strength and realize this. Ooh, that's powerful. Read that every morning when you're looking in the mirror. 18. The body is mortal, but that which dwells in the body is immortal and immeasurable. And I would even say... That, that same intelligence is in the cells in your body and they become something else too. So they're not as separate as maybe we once thought. The Purusha and Prakriti are merged together. The intelligence of the mother, like or the intelligence of the Shakti or the whatever language you want to use, is the same intelligence as the awareness. They, they are interconnected. It is in everything, which... That's what we're talking about here. It's not, how could it be omnipresent and not be in everything? It's in everything. And tatvamasi, you are that. It's who you are. Did we do 18? Yes, we did 18. And 20. Let's do 20. You were never born. You will never die. You have never changed. You can never change. Unborn, eternal, immutable, immemorial. You do not die when the body dies. Realizing that which is indestructible, eternal, unborn, and unchanging. How can you slay or cause another to slay? Everything goes on and on as one. And understanding this, like I said, you feel the pain of death, you you feel it. I saw a dog that w got hit by a car here in, in 
Mexico and every cell in my body mourned and grieved for the death of this poor being. And at the same time, part of me knew that's them changing outfits. But I didn't say, oh, don't feel bad. It's so good. Just no. There's a natural response to, oh, Om Namah Shivaya, dear Lord, dear beloved, a call, like, help this being to move without any difficulty to the next life. And may the owners of this dog be comforted and those people who are suffering because of their death. May they find warmth and inspiration. May this death bring healing to the world in some way. You know, this kind of thing. That's a equanimity. Yes, it's painful. Death is painful. It's uncertain. It's surprising. It's <sighs> takes our breath away. I mean, to use that analogy. And at the same time, it's necessary and part of life and it brings new life and it and the equanimity is experiencing both sides of the coin simultaneously. And then he talks about dharma, about your role, your duty, what you're born for, your destiny written on the inside of your brow, and says in 31, considering your dharma, you should not vacillate. Because he's like, should I fight? Should I not? Am I a warrior? Am I not? Am I... For a warrior is nothing... Uh, for a warrior, excuse me, for a warrior, that's a comma, for a warrior, nothing is higher than a war against evil. The warrior confronted with such a war should be pleased, Arjuna, for it comes as an open gate to heaven. When we come up against difficulties and imbalance, we are being called to stand up. Because that's about creating more harmony and health and well-being for the whole. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's... And yes, we're going to, you know, learn lessons along the way. I'm like, oh, well, I tried it that way last time, and that really hurt a lot of people. So I'm going to learn. And then the wisdom of experience will arise because, as the Clinton Fearon song says, experience is the greatest teacher of all. Sleeping Lion, Clinton Fearon. Put on your Spotify. It's a great tune. Big up Clinton Fearon and uh, reggae music, roots and culture. Okay, so do your, do your, what, what are you here for? Why are you here? Consider that. I think we'll get into Samkhya philosophy uh, in a later episode. So he does bring it up, but we'll get into it a little later. And then in 41, he says, those who follow this path, resolving deep within themselves to seek me alone, attain singleness of purpose. Now, a lot of people read this and then they think, oh, okay, so Krishna is the way. People do this like Jesus is the way 
Buddha is the one and only. This one and only stuff. I mean, Krishna does a great job in the Gita where he says, like, when people, you know, worship God in other forms, it's still me. Duh. Like, the omnipresent God. Not, I don't know about you, but, like, for me, God is not some places and not other places. That doesn't make sense. How could it be God? Then it's just a regular person. You know, oh, where's Joe? Oh, he's not here. Okay, well, Joe's over there. He's not here. He's obviously not God. He's can't be in two places at once. He's not God. <laughs> so if there's a one and only, how? I mean, what? How could that be? Many, many, infinite forms of expression that can be experienced by us. So those who follow this path, resolving to seek me alone, which means seek God, Guru, and self as one and the same within you, will attain single-pointed awareness. Yoga. Oneness. And if, if focusing on Krishna or focusing on Jesus or focusing on Mary or focusing on your guru or fo whatever form brings you into that state of single-pointed awareness, of loving awareness, then please do more of that. But avoid, if you can, telling people that your way is right and theirs is wrong. Because it's... That's that avoiding pleasure. That's it's not equanimity. It's unequanimous. Is that the word? You know, it's denying the nature of God, which is everywhere at once, in all forms, in everything, all powerful, not limited to your belief structure and dogma. Hello. <laughs> oh, we all need that wake-up call from time to time, right? And then uh, in 45, it says, The scriptures describe the three gunas, but you should free yourself from the action of the gunas, established in eternal truth, self-controlled with any without any sense of duality. I'm a this and you're a that. Or the desire to acquire and hoard. Mine, 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 mine. Three gunas. Sattva, there's lightness, quality, clear, levity. And then the two, uh, you know, the sort of lower points of the triangle. Rajas, which is action. Busyness, movement. And tamas, which is inertia. And... Thomas and Rajas go back and forth and back and forth. And, and then that lightness is sort of in all of it. And in the beginning, we want to cultivate sattva to sort of lessen the extremes of go, 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 pass out, pass out, pass out, pass out, go, 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 pass out, pass out, pass out, pass out. Anyone who has addictive behavior, which I believe is everybody, all of us, knows this cycle. Drink, 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 hungover, feel terrible, hate myself. I'm never drinking again. I'm feeling better. Let's do it again. Drink, 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 drink. Oh, I'm feeling terrible. I don't ever want to do this. I'm not or work, 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 work. Or 
know, sex, 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 sex. Oh, or whatever your thing is. <laughs> Addiction is any behavior that's repeated that produces negative results that you continue to participate in. And your guru, your inner knower, is going to try its very best because it loves you and cares for your well-being to go, this approach isn't working. And so maybe by culti cultivating a bit of sattva, we lessen those extremes of all or nothing. And then in doing so, uh, you know, we there's more potential to see who we, we really are, to love ourselves and others no matter what. Whoa, wouldn't that be wild? That's transcending the gunas. It doesn't matter what you do. I love you. Yeah, but, okay, still got work to do. <laughs> I mean, and so do I, big time. Hello, I'm like the king of yeah, but. But I'm trying. And then just to cycle back to the fruits of actions, because this is an important one, uh, carrying on from 45, we'll go to 47. You have the right to work. So everybody is here to engage in, in work and, and, you know, creating things and that sort of thing. You have the right to work, but never to the fruit of the work. You should never engage in action for the, for the sake of reward, nor should you long for inaction. So what's in it for me? And I'm just too lazy and apathetic. I don't want to participate. It's a warning about those attitudes. And then uh, in 49, seek refuge in the attitude of detachment and you will amass the wealth of spiritual awareness. I'm here for the experience of living, the wonder of it all, the joy and the pain. Those who are motivated only by desire for the fruits of action will end up miserable, for they are constantly anxious about the results of what they do. Sounds like current times. Imagine if there was like that was on the news or something. Seek refuge in the attitude of detachment. This just in. And if you do this, can you imagine, uh, you know, you will amass the wealth of spiritual awareness. Wow, tell me more, Bob. Well, those who are motivated only by the desire for the fruits of action, what's in it for me, are going to end up miserable. For they're constantly anxious about the results of what they do. Me and mine and me and mine and me and mine and me and mine. When consciousness is unified, however, all vain anxiety is left behind. I see myself in all. This impacts all of us. This uh, pandemic impacts all of us. The pain and suffering that I'm experiencing in my life is not unique to me. We're all struggling. So what can I do to bring healing to the world? And when somebody's lashing out and trying to hurt me, recognize... It's not really them doing it. It's just karma working itself out. Can I see who I am and who they are in relationship to this karmic exchange? When consciousness is unified, however, all vain anxiety is left behind. There is no cause for worry, whether things go well or ill. Therefore, devote yourself to the discipline of yoga, for yoga is skill in action. And then he goes on to say, 
in 53. Oh, here it is. When you are unmoved by the confusion of ideas and your mind is completely united in deep samadhi, samadhi means sameness, sama, sameness, oneness, you will attain the state of perfect yoga, seeing the one in all. Then I'm going to go 55. They live in wisdom who see themselves in all and all in them, sameness, who have renounced every selfish desire and sense craving from tormenting the heart. Easy, easier said than done, right? And then I'm going to skip ahead to 68. Use all of your power to free the senses from attachment and aversion alike. Okay, so trying to hold it, gripping, and trying to push it away, aversion. And live in the full wisdom of the self. I know who I am in relationship to all of this. I am the supreme self. I am the guru. I am God. I am all knowledge, wisdom, and compassion underneath the surface of these experiences, and I can either participate or get in the way. Such a sage awakes awakes to the light in the night of all creatures. That which the world calls day is the night of ignorance to the wise. So things are not exactly as they seem, he's saying. <laughs> That's an understatement for these times, Krishna. They are forever free who renounce, I'm in 71, they are forever free who renounce all selfish desires and break away from the ego cage of I, me, and mine to be united with the one, the beloved. This is the supreme state. Attain to this and pass from death to immortality. Om Shanti Shanti. Shanti Hare Krishna. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I look forward to seeing you in some classes soon. For more information, keep your eye on Join the newsletter and hope to see you in the training June 1st, June, August 1st to 12th on Salt Spring Island. Lots of other opportunities coming your way. Looking forward to practicing with you soon. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the show. If you love the show, share it with your friends. Keep listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Lots of love. 